Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, this is Zivi Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And speaking of books, I have two of my own books coming out this spring and summer. Princess Charming is a picture book, which debuts on April 19th, and Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature comes out on July 1st, and it is truly a labor of love. I hope you'll pre-order, order, and join me on tour as I go across the country. You can find out more at zibbyowens.com or bookendsmemoir.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens because I always post about everything. Enjoy the show. Dr. Daniel Black is the author of Don't Cry For Me. He is a professor of African-American studies at Clark Atlanta University and a native of Kansas City, Kansas, yet he spent the majority of his childhood years in Blackwell, Arkansas. He now aims to provide an example to young Americans of this importance of self-knowledge and communal commitment. He is the author of They Tell Me of a Home and the Sacred Place, in addition to Don't Cry For Me. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Don't Cry For Me, a novel. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Uh-oh. As I was just saying, I read this all through my spring break with my kids, and I will forever associate it now with this trip, and I will never forget it. I was posting about it, and people like loved it. They're like, oh my gosh, this was the most beautiful book. I'm like, I know. I'm reading it. So anyway, <laughs> thank you for the bringing depth to the, the, the trip I took, depth and emotion and feeling and heart and soul and loss and all the good things that your book did. So it was beautiful. 
I'm glad. Thank you so much. And I'm just glad that this book is being read and being felt by so many, 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 many people. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's this kind of universal story of this dying man and his longing to be reconnected to his son. And, and, and it just shows that, you know, all over the world, in, in, in every place, in every home, in every community, we struggle with what it means to parent. We struggle mm-hmm. with what it means uh, to be a child. We struggle with what it means when our children are not what we prefer yeah. or not what we want. And in the end, though, it doesn't matter nearly as much as how much we love them. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. I mean, I loved your, not you, in the novel, the reflections on the limitations on the ability to feel that love and that right. feeling love and having the time for love and, and attention to the people who you care about is a luxury in and of itself. That's right. That's right. It's a luxury in and of itself. Well said. Absolutely. It is. And everyone doesn't get that luxury. Yeah. Right. And specifically black men in this country and black men of a certain age were, were limited in so many, many, many ways. Right. They weren't even given what most folks were given. Right. And that is just the 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 right of an education, you know, and people can really underestimate how much knowledge and education means when, when one begins to parent, because it has everything to do with the depth of your imagination mm-hmm. and 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 the strength of your own self-worth so that you don't try to extract meaning from your children's lives for yourself. Mm-hmm. Very true. I mean, when you think about the effect, even, I mean, there were so many effects, but just the education alone, as you point out, like, what does that do to a whole group of people who then don't have the benefit of, of knowing so many of these stories that are so important, things not to recreate, things not, I mean, just, it's, the whole thing is obviously just unthinkable and horrific, but where it trickles down to parenting and love and being able to express that love and prioritizing that when survival becomes like the main priority is That's right. it was so powerful in the book, this notion of forgiveness or like seeking forgiveness or understanding that sometimes the limitations of your parents are through no fault of their own. They're circumstantial or they did the best they could with what. And then when you understand where they come from, it's a completely different relationship. That's right. That's right. That's right. It's a completely different relationship. It's absolutely right. And most kids never really truly investigate to the depth we ought to what our parents were like as kids mm-hmm. and what happened to them as children that shaped who they are. We just want these perfect beings to love us and take care of us, you know, and to honor us. But the tr- And the truth is, that most of our parents have done an an extraordinary job in parenting. We just don't know how far they had to come to do it. That's right. That's right. Especially with some of the traumas and the losses. I mean, the main character's loss of Esau, his brother, was so... I mean, I felt that. I felt that so deeply and profoundly, what that would do, how someone's older brother, the source of like comfort and how they would snuggle and just having that guardian and from such a young age, losing him. I mean, it it was just, it's just so, it's so sad. It was just so sad. It was, it really was. It absolutely really was. And, And that sense of loss, you know, so shaped Jacob. Mm-hmm. And the irony about that, can I call you Zibby? 
Of course, yes. The irony about that, Zibi, is that that loss of his brother and the love of his brother is really the only thing Jacob has mm-hmm. as a gauge of what it means for a man to love a man. Yeah. But he needs that so desperately because this gay son of his has been the bane of his existence in so many ways. But the irony is that he loved a man once too. Yep. And he says it wasn't sexual and it wasn't sexual, but you, he loved him so intensely that at times it, it reads and feels as homosexual, mm-hmm. you know, at least homosexual. And it certainly reads as intimate. Yep. Well, they were like in bed with like stroking his face, That's you know. Right. That's right. You know, the way, right. you know, and it transcends parenting when it's siblings, right? But it's not, right. it's not inappropriate, but it's just very intense. That's right. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wait, how did you, how did you come up with the whole story? I know that it was your, your own life experience in part informed this and the the narrative to talk to me about all of that, where it came from and your own sure. family and all sure, of that. Sure, sure. The irony is I never intended for this to be at all any of my own story, mm-hmm. right? It just kind of evolved that way after a while. What I was really thinking of mostly was the fracture between too many black men and their children. Mm-hmm. They're just so, and, and, and it's true. I'm sure it's true for white men. I'm sure it's true for, you know, Latinx men, et cetera, but it's particularly true for black men and not all black men. So I don't want to represent that at all, but there are just too, too many black men who are estranged from their children, who are distant from their children. And I wanted to write a book about a black man realizing at the end of his life that really nothing was more important. You know, so many times black men and men in general will fall out with wives or girlfriends and the fallout becomes the center of their lives instead of what do the children need, mm-hmm. right? And we end up in court and we end up with these ugly divorce proceedings. It's sometimes all of this happens and the children kind of just get lost in the fray, you know. And I wanted to really write a book helping black men to know if you have to sleep on the sidewalk in front of your children's house, do that. Whatever you have to do, do it to make sure your children are always clear that you are there for them. And because the day will come too where that'll be your only comfort. Mm. And uh, do you have kids, Zibby? I have four kids. Four kids. And how old are your kids? I have twins who will be 15 in June. And then I have an eight, almost nine-year-old and a seven-year-old. Okay. 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 Great, great, great. So I'm sure, of course, in your life now, the notion that you would have no contact with your kids at all is unthinkable. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And it should be unthinkable. Right. It should be unthinkable. And it should be unthinkable for fathers, too. Part of what we've done in this culture is we made women central to children's lives and made fathers tangential. Mm -hmm. Like if the dad is around, fantastic. That is such a good thing. (laughs) But the the mother must be. Mm -hmm. And I think that's wrong. And I think it's problematic. And I think it puts undue pressure on women. Mm -hmm. Right. I think it, it makes us ask things from women that are unfair, that are just absolutely unfair. And it gives men free passes in certain ways that I think is absolutely unfair too, in terms of the responsibility of child rearing. Mm. And I think we need, I think we need lots of revision around this. So I wanted to write this book to help uh, a man see that 
his role as a father was really the most important thing that ever happened to him. And in this case, Jacob, he wanted a child. You know, he wanted he, he wanted a son particularly, and he got one. Mm-hmm. He didn't get the kind he wanted, you know. You don't but get you, to pick. <laughs> don't get to pick. You don't get to pick. And what's also true, and of course I won't put you on the spot, but what's also true is children can disappoint you. That is true. In fact, I don't know any parents who were never disappointed in children in some way about something, right? That's that's part of the parenting process too. But I think I think that it's different for a child's behavior to disappoint us versus their being disappoints us. Right. Well, I mean, I think that's in part the onus is on the parents, right? You have to that's put right. aside any expectation of, of what, right. I mean, you're not, I don't know, as I've had more and more kids, my involvement in them, I feel like is tangential, not tangential. And I mean, we're deeply sort of enmeshed in the everyday and I, all I do is think about them and all of that, but they are who they are. That's like, right. And they were that way from day one, from, from before day one. They just, they, and I, it is our job to sort of unpack that gift and see what they've become and then That's try right. to, bolster any of the strengths or unique qualities that they have. But the idea that as parents, we could decide, I mean, what, who's just like, who would ever think that we had that kind of power, right? That's These right. are just creatures who are like, usher, get to usher in the world. And it's a privilege to do so. That's how I feel at least. Oh, absolutely. It's absolutely a privilege. It is absolutely positively a privilege to do so for sure, for sure. And, and as I was writing this book, my father my father was ill. My father was ill uh, and struggling with Alzheimer's as I was writing this book. And he died the day I finished it. Oh, It's the, the craziest thing. He did. He did. He died the day I finished it. And in, in so many ways, I realized then that I had been writing about him without really knowing it and without mm-hmm. really intending to, right? And it was a very emotional, very powerful kind of moment. Uh, and my father was a great man, et cetera. He and I had all kinds of tensions at times, and but he, my father was an awesome person. And it took him dying and me really thinking through to real to realize just how far he had come. Mm-hmm. You know, my father was not a reader. My father could not read very well. And I have a PhD, right? And I realized, I said, you know, for that to be true, there must have been something he did well. <laughs> Right. Uh, And many, many things he did well, of course. But the truth of the matter is, I don't know that I had ever really sat down and evaluated the cost of his life being born in the 1940s in the rural South and all the unbelievable racial tensions he had to contend with not being allowed to go to school because he worked on a farm. You know, he he missed far, far, far more days than he went. But black children's education, you know, was not compulsory yet, Mm -hmm. you know, and so it was not illegal for him to miss school. And, you know, sometimes in a year he'd go 10 or 20 days total, you know. And so to then turn around and own a house as a grown man, to turn around and rear children and and send children to school and and have a son, you know, to go and and to get a Ph.D. uh, is a gargantuan leap historically. Yes. You know. And so that's really what I wanted to show in this book, that very often progress is made and people achieve and and transformations occur in people, sometimes without us ever knowing. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. How did you end up getting your PhD? What was your trajectory like? Well, as a child, I, I was a reader. As a mm-hmm. kid, I was a reader. And my great-grandmother, who was born in the 1890s, lived next door to us in rural Arkansas. And she, too, loved reading. And she and I were very, very close. She and I were very close. And I would read to her out loud. Her, her sight became bad, and I'd read to her out loud. And so I became an avid reader. Read, uh, and we didn't have books. We had the Bible. She, she got Reader's Digest. And th- that was pretty much our library. But I, but I was a reader and I, I like to read and I've always been academic. Uh, it's very much like you said, ironically, and that is I just was who I was, right, even yeah. though my, my parents were not readers at all. I did mm-hmm. not come from a reading household uh, in terms of my nuclear family, but I was, you know. And so that got me started in terms of uh, reading and loving knowledge. And I did very well in school academically. And when I finished high school, I was a poor, broke black boy in the country, but I got a scholarship to go on to college, a full scholarship, thank God, because I wouldn't have gone otherwise. And I went to college and I did very well there. And then I went to Oxford, England and did a degree. And then from there, I went to Temple University and thank the true and living God for for scholarships, because I would not have been able to go otherwise. I just would not. In fact, when I left home to go to college, my dad gave me $50, you know, and he was like, you know, I hope this helps you. And I was like, yes, sir. Thank you. You know, and of course, um, that was a lot of money to him, mm-hmm. you know, and I and I get that. And so I, I went straight through. I went straight through nonstop. So at 25, I had a Ph.D. I was done. Wow. And it's been a glorious ride. And, and, and I've been teaching now at Clark Atlanta University since I've got the Ph.D. And it's been absolutely fantastic. I went there for my undergrad degree and it was wonderful. And so I've, I, I've seen what a, an academic life looks like. What I've also seen, because I come from uh, non-academic folks, is how a non-academic life is. And I've also seen what happens to Black people in this country who are outside of of, of academic spaces uh, and what kind of life is afforded a person who is not educated. I see now why my enslaved ancestors absolutely begged and insisted for the right to read. Mm -hmm. 
I get it. I, re- I mean, I get it in so many ways, Zibby. And I, I, I understand on so many levels now. Because what they knew, at least what they imagined, and it was true, was the ability to read is the ability to think. The ability to read is the ability to analyze. Mm-hmm. The ability to analyze is the ability to understand your life, the world around you, how it works, how it functions. To participate, to become a participant in a in, in a democracy, to become a participant, you know, in a country so that your citizenship is guaranteed. And and, and that is it, it, it's so absolutely positively critical. Otherwise, you always see yourself as an outsider. You always understand yourself as being uh, marginal to, to the center of the place where you exist. And you always have this attitude of gratitude for simply being allowed to exist, you know? And so this reading in this in this novel, which I think is so important. In fact, when Jacob, of course, in his latter years, he becomes a reader. Mm-hmm. And it changes his whole understanding of, of human beingness, you know? It changes his whole understanding of who he is, of what life is, of how life moves. Uh, it changes his understanding of, of how people are conceived. Mm-hmm. Right. It changes his entire notion of what it means to be alive. And thus he now realizes, oh, my God, what have I done to my son? What have I done? Dear God, what have I done? At this point, though, his health won't allow him to physically move so he cannot go find him. And one of the things that I hope works, that I think works, is he does a very dangerous, though, a very remarkable thing. And that is he puts his heart on the page. Mm hmm. And because what he has discovered by reading is that you can translate your heart to the page and another person can get it, whether you're physically there or not. Words have this magical, magical power to carry meaning and to construct healing, even in even in invisible places. And. He hopes and he believes that writing these letters, of course, the entire novel is these series of letters is enough, will be enough, is going to be enough to transform his son's life. That's what he's really, really praying, that it will be enough to transform his son's life. And we'll know in the sequel. Oh, the sequel's coming? I, I, in fact, I'm probably 75% through it. Wow, that is exciting. Oh yeah, my gosh. Well, in the sequel, it, it's, nothing, it's Isaac answering the letters. Wow. Oh my gosh. I love that. Oh, I'm so excited. Do you have a title for that? I do for now. Isaac's song. Mm. Oh, but I don't know that I'll stick with that. I might. We'll see. You know, I interviewed Anna Quinlan recently. She has a new book out or coming out. I don't know when this will air, but it's called Write for Your Life. And it's all about the lost art of letters and the importance of writing and handwriting especially, but telling stories and letting people you love know. I feel like these two books should be, would be a great sort of gift, you know, together, uh, right? Yeah. The, look at the power. Like she's advocating the power of, of letters. And this is like, I mean, I, I don't know. It's like case in point, right? Right, <laughs> right, point. right. Absolutely. Even in fiction, even in fiction. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wait, so how, what do you teach? What are your class? Like, I want to take your class. Like, you're such a pat. You're such a great. I just want to listen to you and learn from you. You're so inspiring. Oh, thank and- you, thank you, thank you. Well, so my classes, you-, you know, and I, I, I will admit humbly that my classes are always full. I bet. <laughs> and I have so much 
fun with students. I do. It's just the best. It's it's the greatest. I have I just have such a great time with students. I this semester I'm teaching a seminar in the works of August Wilson. Unbelievable class. Just fantastic class. Just it's the most it's it's the funnest class I've probably taught in 25 years. It's just amazing. But I teach classes like that. Uh, I teach classes like seminar in the works of Toni Morrison, mm-hmm. seminar in the works of Ernest Gaines, or uh, introduction to African American studies, pro seminar on African American studies, anything concerning African American studies, African American literature, black writing, black writers. That's the kind of stuff I teach. It's amazing. Well, you should do like a like a master class or like a you know one like beyond your university, right? I feel like yes, you have, yes. you have fact, such a and a huge audience for that. I appreciate that. In fact, I'm going to do a writing workshop at some point, probably August, I'm thinking. I'm kind of planning it out now because so many people have asked me for that. Wow. That's really exciting. Wow. Uh, well, if you find any great books, by the way, I started a publishing company called Zibby Books, and we, wow. we do fiction and memoir. So always looking for powerful, amazing stories. Um, absolutely. I may make some suggestions so, to you. Yeah, absolutely. Keep, keep me in mind. Pitch some, I will. I some absolutely. talented students and everything. Yeah, absolutely. So as a you know, beloved professor, what advice do you, do you give to aspiring authors? I always tell authors two things. Don't sacrifice a good story with bad grammar. Yep. Important. Right? I always tell students that because so many students want to write, so many adults want to write, and many of them have great stories, but many of them are not quite as committed to the meticulous nature of the craft as they are to the idea of being a writer. Mm-hmm. And I always tell them, do not sacrifice the grammar. Learn the grammar. If you have to take a class, if you have to take a seminar, workshop, whatever you do, learn grammar. Because it matters in terms of the quality of the story you teach, uh, tell. It, learn, it matters in terms of your ability to write the story. Mm-hmm. Right? So I always, 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 always tell them that. The second thing that the advice I always give to a burgeoning writer is to read more than you write. Mm-hmm. Because the more you read, the more styles get exposed to you. The more you read, the more you see in terms of form and possibility of, of ways of writing, ways of phrasing things, etc. And reading is it's just kind of, it's the method, if you will, I think. And so I always tell folks, read, 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 read as you write. So those are the main two things I say. Excellent. Thank you so much. This has been so wonderful. I've totally enjoyed speaking with you. I cannot wait for the next installment. I can't wait to hear what he has to say. I'm like, oh my gosh, exciting. So anyway, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on and sharing Don't Cry For Me with the world. Thank you tremendously. I've had a ball. We'll talk about it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. 
Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.